This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome to the Ringer Beyond the Arc on FanDuel TV. My name is Kevin O'Connor. We've got a loaded show today talking NBA playoffs, so let's get right into it. All right, Tate, on Monday night, we saw the Sixers and the Celtics face game one. A surprise victory for Philadelphia, 119-115 in Boston with no Joel Embiid, with James Harden going off with a career high in the playoffs, 45 points on 17 of 30, elite efficiency, shooting from mid-range, more than he has since Oklahoma City in the first quarter, hitting step-back, three-pointers. It looked like vintage James Harden in that game one. Yeah, can we call him Big Game James? Is, is it now time to do that? I'm just kidding. We love you, James Worthy. But, uh, yeah, this was the James Harden game, right? You said it, a career high in the playoffs, 45 points, 17 of 30. Uh, my favorite stat in basketball is FGAs. You know, that's what I look at. Who's going to take the most shots? And James Harden said, that will be me tonight. No Joel Embiid, myself, Tyrese Maxey. And then, you know, some Melton off the bench, some Niang off the bench. I saw Joe Mazzulla after the game. He's like, we got to guard these guys. We got to guard DeAnthony Melton. We got to guard George Niang because they're all threats from the outside. And, you know, this was a game where I, I was pretty shocked. I'm not going to lie. I, I was, uh, especially when James Harden hit that deep three late, it felt like a lot of demons kind of came off his back. And, uh, you know, like I said, this was, uh, this was James Harden's moment. But he even yelled to his team when they were celebrating, it's just one game. It's just one game, KOC. And, and he's right. It is just one game. Joe Embiid's supposed to potentially come back on Wednesday night. But. With Harden showing this, though, in game one, it is just one game. But Harden, for a long time, ever since he first suffered this Achilles injury, he said, I'm not going to be able to get back. This is something that's going to take a whole offseason. It's a game changer for the Sixers. If you're getting this version of Harden on his best nights, even if Embiid's back only at 75 or 80% at best, I, I thought Boston could potentially sweep the series with Embiid being limited or out, considering what we saw with Harden in we- recent weeks. But this version, this this makes it look like Philadelphia could be a team that ends up winning the NBA Finals. This is why you traded for James Harden, right? This, if you're Daryl Morey, you're, you're patting yourself on the back, probably smoking a cigar tonight and say, this is why we made the trade. See, I was right. I'm not an idiot. Don't call me an idiot. Uh, I did this for a reason. And James Harden is a, a certified MVP. He's been there before. I think the most encouraging part, right, if you're the Philadelphia 76ers or a fan of the team, is that B-Ball Paul. Right. I mean, 10 points, 13 rebounds. He was great in this game. And I have to point him out because I think he was a big part of what, you know, kind of led the Bucks to a title in 2021. P.J. Tucker takes no field goals in this game. I talked about FGAs, but defensively, as he is prone to do, has an amazing game, switching on everybody, causing havoc, wreaking havoc, whatever you want to say, however you want to describe <laughs> it. This is P.J. Tucker at his finest. And when Philadelphia plays with that gritty toughness and they play connected, they're a scary team, and like you said, you can add an MVP even if he's not 100%, and that makes them even more terrifying because he's a matchup nightmare. 
and you mentioned Tucker switching on defense. Philadelphia in this game one, they switched 18 on-ball screens out of 48 total pick and rolls set by Boston, 37%. That's up from their regular season average of 23.6. Got to credit Doc Rivers, no Joel Embiid, B-ball Paul at center, switching his defense up to really contain a lot of those actions. Tatum scores a lot, but mm-hmm. they limited, take, took him away some of his spots, limited Jalen Brown. It felt like Boston's offense was discombobulated at times on a night you feel like they could have scored 130 with Joel Embiid out there. They're limited to you know only 115, but that's all Philadelphia had to do is get that edge on defense with the switching. And they were going after Al Horford, right? That was on the, the other side, yes. Right, on the yep. other side. And then, you know, from uh, you know the, the standpoint of the Celtics, right, with their spacing, that was an issue. We saw Marcus Smart drives into traffic, tries to dump it off to Jason Tatum, and it's just kind of a miscommunication. B-ball Paul ends up getting fouled by Tatum, right? And then after the game, Missoula talked about how, you know, he went to the team and said, this one's on me, you know what I mean? He basically took the blame, and I, I know one thing about coaches. They say when we lose, I take the blame. When we win, the players get the credit, right? So Joe Missoula, you're no longer an interim head coach. You are the head coach. You're doing what you're supposed to do in this situation, but – you know, if you're the Celtics, you're probably kicking yourself, right? Because you're used to executing down the stretch. You're used to getting stops. You're used to finishing out quarter strong, finishing a game strong. They did none of that in this game. They looked out of sync, out of sorts, whatever you want to say. One big note for me in just watching with the naked eye of someone that, you know, hasn't been, you know, keen on the Celtics as much as someone like you, um, you know, Jalen Brown, 10 shots. Goes back to FGA's 10 shots, Kevin. Yeah, weird balance for Boston's offense, right? right? Jason Tatum takes 25 shots. Malcolm Brogdon takes 20 shots. And the snapshot of this game, when I think of this game, it's going to be that possession where the Celtics basically play hot potato with each other. They're all trying to get a great shot when they had multiple good shots. And then the final snapshot is right as Brogdon throwing the ball to Maxie as the the shot clock runs down and Maxie goes and gets the dunk. And that was the first, like, oh, Right. The whole crowd, you know, in TD Garden, they're like, wait a second, this isn't a part of the script. And it just felt like Boston was not Boston. They were not the Celtics team that we've seen all year. Well, and that's part of it. You you mentioned in passing there how the Sixers targeted Al Horford. It feels like Boston's defense last year, they make the NBA finals. They get Al Horford playing at an elite level. Time Lord, Tatum, Brown. They had an all time great defense last year. Two portions of the season. Atlanta last round, game one now against Philadelphia. You're seeing teams go at Horford, who's older, maybe a bit fatigued. In game one, they brought him when he was on the floor. They brought him into a pick and roll, 63% of the pick and rolls that they ran. That's a lot of Harden. They're targeting Horford as the weak guy. They scored 47 direct points off of those. That ties the highest mark of the entire season against the screener defender, Jokic, when he was, you know, in coast mode in March, was mm-hmm. the previous high during the regular season. Some would say he was tanking the MVP. It did seem like it. <laughs> That's what some would say. That's what I thought. T- tanking MVP, saving energy I, th- the I think Jokic did not want to win the MVP. If I <laughs> but but Horford is not tanking the game yeah, one, and yet course. they're going at him. It feels like Boston's defense coming from the elite marks that they put up last year Feels like they've slipped a bit. How how does that affect them in the in the finals race conversation right now? Well, I think Boston, like you said, the first red flag was when they don't wrap up that series. Anytime that you let a series get extended, first you open yourself up to injuries, and second you kind of show a, a chink in the armor in the armor, so to speak. So 
in general, that was my first red flag with Boston. Then you come into this game, and they started hot. They they started like they had, you know, Jason Tatum had a big dunk early. The crowd's going crazy. You're like, as expected, the Boston Celtics are going to blow out the Sixers without Joel Embiid. But when you let the road team hang around, as they did in this game, and you don't execute and you don't play with a sense of urgency, the belief starts to grow. Starts to grow, and and B-ball Paul and and, and the rest mm. of the guys, the bench players, the role players, the Tobias Harris's of the world, yeah, yeah, of course, the guys that aren't usually going to show up on the road say, hey, we got a chance in this fourth quarter. Let's go out and steal one. Game one's always the game to steal in any of these series. So they get the job done. I'm not completely, you know, I'm I'm not going to smash the panic button right now and say, you know, Boston is no longer the the favorite to go to the finals. I think they're going to be all right. But it is troublesome when you think about the fact that there is the, the the big elephant in the room, which is, okay, the MVP is right around the corner, and he's going to come back, and now he just watched his team win without mm-hmm. him. And as much as, you know, we talk about Joel Embiid and the talent, I mean, the guy can do a lot when he's not 100% as he's shown throughout his career. So that is what's scary for Boston. I think they address the mistakes. I think Joe Missoula, maybe we get our timeouts figured out and maybe we get our spacing figured out. Those are all conversations that will be had. But again, this is his first rodeo too. He wasn't there with that team last year. He didn't help inspire that defense. That was a different coach. Yeah, it was Ime Odoka and Missoula was really the third guy. You yeah, know? I mean, it, right. was, it was Will third. Hardy, the second guy, and Missoula was more, you know, he was a uh, pro doing personnel great with Utah, scouting. For, you know yeah, I mean? exactly. Yes, I mean, so you mentioned uh, Joel Embiid. He should come back game two Wednesday night. Maybe they hold him on a bit longer now. He'll probably get awarded MVP tonight on Tuesday. Nikola Jokic, we see him lead the Nuggets to a 2-0 lead in game two over the Phoenix Suns. For all this talk about, including from me on my podcast, <laughs> it happens. We all about, talk about it. About how the Suns can pick and roll the Nuggets to death. They're just going to keep going at Jokic. We just saw the Nuggets win a game with defense. They hold the Suns to only 87 points, beat them by 10, just absolutely dominate the fourth quarter. Aaron Gordon's sensational in that game. Got to give him credit as well. But overall, this Nuggets defense helping off of Phoenix's non-shooters, putting pressure on Durant and Booker. This feels like a team that after coasting to end the regular season while Jokic tanked his MVP, <laughs> they are now, you know, flipped the switch right. and where they're showing it against the Suns. They look like the one seed, and this is what a yeah. one seed's supposed to do. They're supposed to win at home, um, and th- that's what sort of you expect. But I think what's fascinating about this game was we kind of got a, a, a game, like an all-time game from Devin Booker. This is one of those games where he tried to steal on the road. Murray didn't play great, but like you said, the Nuggets – I found I found it fascinating after game one. They asked Kevin Durant, "What can you do in game two? What adjustments do you make?" And he said, "We got to let it fly." <laughs> they, they sure did. They just bricked everything, right? And they're <laughs> one for twelve from three to start this game, and then they get to two for thirteen because Kevin Durant banks in a three. Right? <laughs> I mean that that was kind of the story of this game. He was off. They were off in general. Um, so if you're the Suns, you can kind of just tell yourself, "Hey." They're supposed to win at home, altitude, yada, yada, yada. We go home. We're going to make shots. We're going to be okay. So I, I don't completely write them off. But, you know, as I was watching this game, I'm like, I like that the Nuggets can win without Murray playing great. Oh, yeah, for sure. No doubt about that. Though, he was part of the play that gave them the lead in the fourth quarter. Yeah. It was tied 73-73. And, you know, watching the game, it just it feels like Denver 
was outplaying them. Chris Paul goes out with a groin injury, middle of the third quarter, you yeah. know, no surprise. He gets hurt every single playoff run, it seems, unfortunately. But 73-73, nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. The thing with Murray is even when he's not scoring, Tate, like they, their two-man game with the handoffs and the pick-and-rolls that Jokic and Murray run all the time, nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. Murray's not scoring. But still, he finds Jokic on the roll of the basket, kicks it out to KCP, hits the three-pointer, gives them a three-point lead, and they just didn't look back in the game. It was just a reminder of they beat you to death with Murray and Jokic, those two guys and the chemistry that they have together. That play just made me think about, like, oh, this is a team that's been on these runs together for years now. They have this experience level, and they can stomp on you when necessary, whereas the Suns, I mean, Kevin Durant has barely played with these guys, and a lot of them have barely played with each other. I'm not saying, like, the Suns aren't going to win a game this series, but I feel like I'd be shocked at this point if Denver were to lose a 2-0 lead. Yeah, and I will say this. Continuity is something, if you talk to NBA players, when they talk about why teams win, they they will point to continuity. And I do think that Phoenix, it's an, they're in an unfair position because of a wet spot on the court, right? And I think if that doesn't happen and KD can play the 20 games he probably should have, we might view Phoenix sure. and they might even know a little bit more about themselves than they know right now because they did let it fly. KD especially let it fly in this game. He just happened to be off, and, and that unfortunately happens in the playoffs. And now you don't have the depth behind them to kind of cover those holes, right? And just in general, you talked about that one play. That is why Jokic is you know so fascinating in general as a threat because – he gets that pass from Murray. He's rolling right to the basket. Any big is usually going to go straight up, but he is such a, you know, instinctive player. He's like, and, and has such spatial awareness. He's like, okay, KCP's in the corner. Boom, I kick out. He hits this big shot, big momentum play. I mean, this is the best passing big man since Arvidas Sabonis, you know? Might be the best passer ever, period. Right. I mean, this this is what we're talking about here. And, and to have that kind of threat at that level that is the same way that Boston should be worried about Joel Embiid. Phoenix should be worried about this MVP right here. And you also worry yourself about their depth. I think the unique thing about Denver to me is that they have the best fourth player of any team in the playoffs, Michael Porter Jr., mm. right? There's a lot of top threes, and you could argue who's the best top three, but the best fourth player as far as natural talent, scoring ability, X factor, whatever you want to call and it. And he's gotten better on defense. Right. You have him. You have Michael Porter Jr. So Denver's always been fascinating in that sense. I like Bruce Brown. I think he adds a oh, nice wrinkle so to the awesome. team, and especially him going against KD, a guy who was on those Nets team and started at center at times, right? Mm -hmm. So he's probably having fun in this series there, there's a lot of good storylines I think Mike Malone has done a really good job I think Monty Williams is trying to figure out what buttons to push with this group it's different every year and this group he's not he doesn't ha he hasn't even had a year you know what I mean so <laughs> yeah. what buttons do you push when you don't know well they have a lot to figure out before game three it's not looking good for the Suns right now Tate we'll be back after the break talking about the Knicks and the Heat can't wait All right, we're here with Van Lathe and Tate Frazier talking about the Knicks in the heat. We saw game one over the weekend. Miami won 108-101. Disappointing game from the, end, from the end there from the Knicks perspective. You see Jimmy Butler get hurt five minutes to go. Knicks at that point do nothing to attack Butler on that side of the floor. Uh, that was my main thought. Tate, what's your game one takeaway from Knicks heat? 
Yeah, my big takeaway is basically Pat Riley is uh, he's winning the war right now. You know what I mean? This is uh, Pat Riley has a lot of grudges in the NBA, uh, one with the Knicks, and uh, he is enjoying being up there with his Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler, the best decoy in the playoffs so far. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that works. See him practicing his three point form, uh, standing in the corner while play was happening. Yeah, that was uh, that was wild. And like you said, I mean Tibbs is I think Tibbs is one of one of my favorite coaches. Uh, I know he gets a lot of grief and gripe, you know, throughout the years, but I, I think. He He's a really smart coach. He likes to attack matchups. I don't know what happened down the stretch because there were multiple times where it felt like Jimmy Butler, that they weren't trying to attack him even though he was hobbling around the court. And for whatever reason, I mean, the Miami Heat were able to survive. And I guess I shouldn't say for whatever reason. The one reason was Kyle Lowry, right? I mean, he was the difference. Yeah. Uh, Playoff veterans come in and make playoff game-winning plays. And he's been there before. He's done it before. I think the interesting situation for the Knicks, to me, did the Knicks miss Julius Randle in this game? I think they did. The, yeah. the, the think, shot creation. I think they missed Julius Randle in the game. And as much as there, as much conversation as there's been about playoff Julius Randle and the limitations that his game has in the playoffs, I saw a clear hole there with a big body, athletic body, mm-hmm. somebody that could create. Um, and so, in a way, it made you appreciate kind of what the team is when they're fully formed, even when he's not playing his best. And look, man, I don't know what the Heat have bottled up, but goddamn. <laughs> like, you so know, that's you know what way to I mean? describe it's it, like yeah, the, the, right. The Heat are finding ways to win <laughs> basketball games. It makes no – I thought that this was for sure the Knicks – uh, they were strolling to the East Finals, but who knows now? I, I mean, it, it's wild with Miami. Like, they got Tyler Hero out, but they just, you know, they got Max Struess undrafted, Duncan Robinson undrafted, Gabe Vincent undrafted, Caleb Martin undrafted, like, all these guys. Martin, his defense is unbelievable on quickly on Brunson. Gabe Vincent hitting pull-up threes. The Love heat, Gabe Vincent. I mm-hmm. mean, like, you mentioned Kyle Lowry. You know, they got their veterans. Butler's awesome. Lowry stepping up. You get Kevin Love reaching back, throwing outlet passes. You know, four of them in the third quarter. They got contributions across the roster. But, you know, it seems like from Miami and Spo, like you mentioned Tibbs is – one of your favorite coaches. He's a lovable coach. Yeah, love I'm him. not sure he's one of the best coaches. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Spo is probably the best yes. coach, right? And, and we saw in the first series, it was great because you go up against Bickerstaff, and Bickerstaff's in a situation where he's trying to get young guys to buy into playoff basketball. Tibbs looks great. We're all talking about how amazing he is. He's running circles around Bickerstaff and the Cavs. But now you go against Spo, and they're baiting guys into things. They're pushing in transition. Jimmy Butler, that outlet pass from Kevin Love, an amazing moment in this game. And it just kind of showcased why Spo is so amazing. And now I think I saw he's top five in playoff wins all wow. time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I just remember a time on the internet when everything Spo did was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really remember people right. going, like, how in the world is this guy to coach? And to see him rise to the ranks of one of the very best coaches we've ever seen is just fantastic. And look, Miami knows what they want to do. Yep. They know what they want to do. They believe in their system. They believe in heat culture. And so (laughs) because of that, they're consistent. And the Knicks are going to have to go beat them. They're not going to give it to you. And, 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 you know, you mentioned the game plan and how they know what they want to do, Van. You know, in that game, there are so many occasions where you see the Heat have, like, four or five defenders with both their feet inside the paint mm-hmm. defending against those drives by Jalen Brunson. They were just like, hey, Knicks, 7-34, Obi Toppin taking 11 threes. We're not even going to close out on you. We're not going to close out on you, Josh Hart. Mm-hmm. They executed that game plan at just such a high level, and it makes me wonder for the Knicks – 
You know, they, they're a below-average shooting team over the course of the regular season. Despite beating the Cavs in five, they shoot 28% from three in the series. I, I'm wondering right now if the Knicks, if they don't get a healthy Randall back with his creation to get to the basket with what he can create, if they actually have enough shooting to win the series right now. Yeah, and Randall's their number one guy at the end of the day, as much yeah. as Brunson is the main guy and the star of the team and everyone loves Brunson. They make each other better, too. Right, you need Randall to make Brunson work, and when Brunson has to be the number one guy, I think that shows some limitations for this team. And, you know, if you're the Knicks, I think that's the biggest question mark. You hope you get Randall back, and if you do, you have a fair shot. I just think that the Heat and Jimmy Butler know something. I don't know what they know. I know a lot of people want to go down to Miami because Pat Riley knows something, but they all seem like they know something <laughs> more than anyone in the East, and uh, that's scary. And when you're playing with, against someone that can be down six and say, I own you, as Jimmy Butler was doing in the last <laughs> series, <laughs> that scares you, right? That, that seed of doubt grows. Absolutely does. I, I want to say, Jules Randle has a very unique opportunity right now. Mm-hmm. He has an opportunity to endear himself all of New York and to really change the perception of his playoff play right now by coming in and really getting to it in this game and in this series. And it's, I wonder how he'll respond to them getting beat. Uh, I wonder how he'll respond, how his game will respond and whether or not like you'll see a different version of him because, you know, body language, you see the guy pouting a little bit, got away from his teammates since the end of the bench. It sometimes seems as if, he doesn't want the Knicks to do well unless he's unless he's playing well. He, he skipped out on media after one of their wins in the first round. It's you know strange. So he, yeah. It feels almost like a lame duck situation yeah. where they're like, "There's the new franchise guy in town, and then he's there also, and it, it's yeah. awkward." But my my best case scenario for Julius Randle, it's like an amazing you know game in the garden, and he gives the thumbs up. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that's what he's got to do. That's what he's got to do. That's that's the brand play. Yeah, <laughs> I hope we get to see Randle return. The series and Brunson questionable too for game two Mm. on Tuesday night. We'll see what happens there, guys. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. 
To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold Slurpee drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven, and your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small Slurpee drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that about me going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. All right, guys, we got it. Lakers Warriors. Right now, the betting uh, FanDuel betting odds have the Warriors favored in the series. I'm picking the Lakers, though. I get them winning in six. Just real quick, you know, what, who do you guys have winning the series? Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, this is something I go back and forth on. I think one of the greatest traits the Warriors have always had is you kind of want to play with them, you know what I mean? When you mm-hmm. watch them play, right, they recruited Iguodala off the Nuggets back in the day. Kevin Durant plays them in 2016. He says kind of like what those guys are doing over there. But then going into Game 7, Steph Curry had this meeting, right? He said, all right, guys, if you don't want to get on the bus, you know, if you don't want to win, don't get on the bus. And then he goes and has to have this, you know, Herculean effort to win this game. And I feel like, weirdly, even though the vibes have always been good in Golden State, I think that the vibes are better with the Lakers. And uh, I'm in this weird moment where, are the Lakers going to Warriors the Warriors where when the Lakers are playing them and they're high five and they're having a good time and Draymond's looking over and he's like, grass looks a little greener over there. I kind of like what's going on with the Lakers. So as much as I believe in Steph Curry and the Warriors and Steve Kerr in the West, I don't know. I have a weird, there's something in the back of my mind that feels like the Lakers are, I'm kind of leaning the Lakers and I'll, I'll let Van pick up from there because you know the Lakers better than anyone. So I'm a huge Laker fan and like love the Lakers. Having said that, I don't have a huge degree of confidence going into mm. the series. I don't. Um, I think that the Warriors have something that the Lakers don't have right now, and that is an ace, bona fide, top performer that they can depend on. Now, look, obviously the Lakers have both Anthony Davis and LeBron James. The version of LeBron James that we're seeing right now is a really, really good basketball player. But we don't know if LeBron James is capable of, at any time, just completely taking over a game and demoralizing the opposition like he has in times past. And although Anthony Davis is uh, maybe the most talented guy on either team, Mm -hmm. he just goes in and out of that same dominance. If you get really good contributions from Clay. Um, and if some way Jordan Poole figures out what his game in the playoffs is, it's going to be really hard to beat him. Now, I'm going to pick the Lakers because I'm a Laker fan, and I think that there's some interesting things you can do. I think that you can put Vanderbilt on Steph Curry. Yes, and pick him up full court. And pick him up full court. I or think, Dennis Schroeder if you yeah. want to go smaller. If you want to go yeah. smaller, Dennis Schroeder. I think there's some things that they can do. But the question to me, and this is very vague, and I know all the analytics heads are going to like really get fucking pissed off. <laughs> But does this Laker team have the it thing that they're going to need to really get over the hump in a series against a team that is not ever going to fold mm-hmm. because they've been there? Mm-hmm. And that's what we'll find out. And I think that's fair. I mean, we just saw Steph Curry drop 50 yeah. in a game seven on the road. I mean, it was a historic performance. But is the 
is the it thing for the Lakers the fact that you're right, Van. Like LeBron is not that dominant force where he is like head and shoulders the best athlete on the floor that he once was. We've seen him pick his spots game four. He drives past Xavier Tillman to hit the game tying layup. He hits two big layups in overtime to win the game for them. We've seen Austin Reeves have big moments game one. End of the game, AD and LeBron, they're just passengers watching him run pick and roll over and over against mm-hmm. the drop defense of Jaron Jackson. We see Rui have big moments. D'Angelo Russell have big moments. Is that the it factor for the Lakers this year where they just they don't need LeBron to always be the best player in the world. They have different guys that they can rely on on a nightly basis, whereas the Warriors, it's feeling like if it's not Steph, it may not be anybody else. I mean, that's a good point. I think, you know, asking guys like Austin Reeves, even D'Lo and, other, and some of the rest of these guys to go into Chase Center um, and bring that same level of play and bring – that's and be sort of the X factor changing dynamic changing players that 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 they have that they were against Memphis or that they have been in the second half of the regular season. I mean, that's a lot, you know. And Austin Reeves, I love him. He might be my favorite Laker in recent memory. Mm. But the question is, you know, when they're going crazy in San Francisco, when they're going super nuts, that's a different type of a stage. Now they have amazing veteran leadership. LeBron James, somebody that can study that ship, Anthony Davis, people, guys that have won rings, guys that have been there for sure. Uh, personnel, player for player, Lakers probably a better, deeper team. But I don't know, man. The 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 Warriors find a way in games where uh, you know the chips are down to make plays and to make huge shots and like just Steph sometimes just won't let them lose. And is Steph really like the reason why the sole reason why you're picking the Warriors in the series, Tate, or is there something else about the rest of this roster and perhaps maybe they underperformed? Like Clay, you know, he had a horrible game seven. You know, other guys throughout the series didn't perform up to the level. Do you, do you expect? Is do you expect maybe some of those Warriors role players, even a Jordan Poole, to? elevate their play in the round two I mean you hope Jordan Poole can elevate his play I mean that's what they really need but I think the gravity of Steph Curry and that's kind of the word and the gravitas of the moment he wants this I think LeBron wants this right it feels like when LeBron came to LA the Warriors and the Lakers have kind of existed in different universes right whether it be injuries or whatever it is it's like your turn my turn your turn my turn and now we get a crossover episode and we get to see LeBron in the Lakers uniform go up against the new showtime with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And I think both guys are going to take, it's almost like the new version of Magic and Bird, right? They're going to take some sort of personal onus to make this moment a moment. And I think that Steph is just more primed right now to actually affect the bottom line with his play. I think LeBron could get you 30, 10, and 10 any night. Mm-hmm. That's how amazing he is. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that means the, the Lakers will win if he does that. If Steph Curry goes out there and does what he does, I think that affects the bottom line and they win. I think he's going to be the best player in the series. But as you mentioned, if Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis, mm-hmm. he can be the best player in any series. He can be the he can be better than Giannis. He can be better than Jokic. He can be better than Embiid. But will he? And, and I think that's what kind of is the looming question to me and why I have this weird, in the back of my mind, Lakers. Mm-hmm. Because Anthony Davis, in this moment, on the stage, I think he might click in. And I think he might say, this is what I'm here for. I'll show up for this, yeah, and I, and I'll play. Well, you know, when you look at Steph, and when I say Davis is the most talented player on either team, I just mean like what he has in him, of course, to the the length, 
the defensive prowess, the ability to dominate whenever he's not shooting 22-foot fallaway <laughs> jumpers. Um, <laughs> less of them lately. Less of them lately. A lot at the less rim lately. lately. A lot at the rim yep. lately. Um, but, look, we haven't seen Wiggins back to form yet. You know, Clay dropped off the face of the planet in Game 7. You're getting contributions from a lot of Warriors, um, guys who are, are making their presence felt. I love watching GP2. He just finds a way to affect the game, mm-hmm. whatever he's on the court, make a big play, take somebody's heart, make a big block, just get in there and do his thing. Uh, but, you know, I'm just I, – I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the Lakers' ability to maintain everything that they've had going against Memphis, a team who, if we're being honest, they folded. They, they were helped. susceptible. They they yeah. they they beat themselves. They talked themselves right into being the laughing stock of the NBA. <laughs> and this veteran laden team is not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I think the Lakers have enough to win this series. I think that they will win this series. But this is actually a monumental moment to me in NBA history. Right. To where you have LeBron and Steph in kind of a legacy battle here. Mm-hmm. Fifth battle. Fifth, like yeah. you have you have these guys in a legacy battle with, you know. Everybody on the backside of 30 with an opportunity to kind of stamp who's running and who has been running. And I think they both know that. And they both kind of have their own argument, right? Because LeBron is the first one to come back from 3-1. Steph Curry is 3-1 and against LeBron in the finals, right? So they kind of have like their – in the world of stands that we live in now, like the LeBron stands and the Curry stands, like I said, they've been in separate universes talking about the theoretical and the hypothetical, and now we have the reality, yeah. and now we get to see it. And, <laughs> and it's honestly unfortunate that it's going to be this one series that can dictate those legacies, but – that's kind of the world we live in, and that's what the expectation well, I mean, is. I it, mean, it's games like what Steph Curry had in Game 7. 50 points on the road in a Game 7, dribbling more times than you ever have in your history, shooting more times than you ever had, after telling your team that you're not going to lose. It's these games that can like edge you up that all-time list mm-hmm. and further stamp your place in NBA history. And now in this series, it's their first time facing off together in the Western Conference. They're both going for their fifth ring. LeBron's second with L.A., Steph's second since Kevin Durant left. Van, you mentioned the legacy implications here. Like, how high can these guys rise? Obviously, if LeBron James wins this year and he wins a couple more chances, he gets to six, and you start looking at the entire thing, then you start having a, a conversation about, all right, how do you judge what the greatest is? Is it how much you accomplished or how dominant you were at the best version of yourself? Like greatest peak versus the longevity aspect. The, the greatest yeah. peak, yeah. the greatest single operator, the most destructive force versus how long were you great? If the argument is how long were you great, nobody has a, you know, it's him, it's Kareem maybe, mm-hmm. but really it's just LeBron. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so another championship will go a long way to kind of figuring that out. Okay. The Steph thing is interesting. Because Steph is about to start getting into some conversations that are really going to hurt people's feelings. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, he, yeah. he's about to start. Steph is threatening the hallowed and holy hierarchy of the NBA top 10. And to me, guys like Shaq, guys like Elijah Wan, guys like Tim Duncan, guys like Kobe. Kobe is my favorite athlete of all time. It's not even close. Mm. But if you're being objective, we're getting to a point now to where Steph still has a lot of these guys in his targets. And it doesn't seem like he's slowing down that much. He's 35, but his game 
should be pretty good for a couple of more seasons. And if he throws another chip on there and he gets to five, that ties him with Kobe, that ties him with Duncan, that ties him with Magic, you really start to start – you have to start asking some hard questions and somebody's going to get kicked out of that top ten. I feel like <laughs> all of those guys, including Bird, which Bird has to be in any NBA top ten because of what his, his game means to the story of basketball. But – we could have a conversation right now about who's had a better career out of Steph Curry and Larry Bird, right? Mm-hmm. So just he's really in a real way uh, going for the all-time greats, the Mount Olympus of the NBA. And, and the, the crazy thing is, like you said, he's still in it. He's yeah. 35. We just saw him drop 50. He feels like he's still at, at his peak powers right now. Like Steph is, I mean, I don't want to say he's necessarily the best we've ever seen him, but it feels like he was the best we've ever seen him for one game. In that game seven versus the Kings, like he's got a long way he can still go take. And what do we say about every player? Like, how do you extend your career, right? You learn how to shoot the basketball. What did Vince Carter do? What did Jason Kidd do, right? They learn how to shoot the basketball. He's the greatest shooter ever, right? He doesn't have to do anything because he can go all the way back to half court if he has to and shoot, <laughs> and it probably is a good shot, not by not for anybody else, but for him. And when I think about it positionally, I think that kind of demonstrates why Curry is such a wrench in the conversation. It's because is he a point guard or is he a shooting guard? Because if he's a shooting guard, now it's like, is Steph Curry in the conversation with Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant mm-hmm. as the best shooting guard ever? If he's a point guard, well, wh- what is it to Magic Johnson? What is it to John Stockton? Like, what does that conversation look like if he's the greatest point guard ever? The truth is, is that he's neither one. And, and Don Nelson, when he drafts him, he says, I want this shooting guard to play point guard. And I think the the conundrum of Curry is positionally he makes no sense. He is a, a an enigma of one of one. He is special, and he is going to break the brains of all these basketball historians because you can't put Steph Curry in a box. He is one of one, and you can't explain it any other way than he is an all-timer, and he changed the game, right? When you talk about innovation, he's one of the, the top guys you talk about, right, as far as the innovation of basketball. He changed everything. And he could only do it as himself. We've all tried to copy it. We've all tried to to do our own version of it. But it's really one guy that can do it and do it right. And it's him. The the thing about him is, and when you watch the games, it's interesting to watch. So everybody has a rhythm in which they play basketball in, right? <laughs> you have a rhythm on offense. You have a rhythm on defense, mm-hmm. right? So if you're guarding Shaq, Shaq is going to go down there. He's going to he's going to dug in and. You start, you start to think, hey, the ball's coming. Like, the ball's coming. So you're tensed. You're ready for what's going to happen in case Shaquille O'Neal gets the ball because he's in a scoring position. Steph takes advantage of the fact that guys lose focus on his skill set. And I don't know how it still happens, but it does. An NBA game is a long, long contest. And sometimes – you see him play in his rhythm out of the defender's rhythm, mm-hmm. meaning the ball comes up, I stop, the guy looks around for a second, boom, the ball's up. It's going in. We saw it the other night on the inbounds pass, right? There was on, 1.6 seconds on the clock, right? and then I think it was Fox looked around, and then all of a sudden he inbounds the ball and boom, hits a three. <laughs> what people, it's all it takes. He takes advantage of you. <laughs> what, people right. doesn't, what people don't get is that that's impossible. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to – Pass, move, and then get that off that quick with any actress with with that accuracy, no nylon. So really, he's found a way to like manipulate the ebbs and flows of a game to a point to where it's really demoralizing the way he does you. Right, like there, 
they are ready to explode. They got the beam lit. The place <laughs> is going crazy. And he would coolly and calmly destroy runs and bring his team right back to striking distance. Sometimes it seems like those shots are worth like five or six yeah. points. They're deflated. Yeah. 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 You, you, heads go down when they go yeah. in. Uh, you, you, know, you, cut the, you cut the deficit to five, and then it's eight all of a sudden. Yeah. Because of who he is. He's shooting from 30 feet away. And, and th- these are shots that, like, guys expect them, but, like, they still don't. Yeah. Like, it, one of my favorite clips ever is, remember when Steph hit the big shot against um, – uh, against the Oklahoma City Thunder, the, the, the double bang, yeah. the, the double bang. Yep. Yeah. When you watch that again, watch Ennis Cantor, who is on the bench of the Thunder. Like watch Ennis Cantor. Uh, I guess a freedom, freedom mm-hmm. Cantor. Mm-hmm. Well, not no disrespect, but what, like, <laughs> what, but watch Steph comes up, the ball's in the air, and Ennis Cantor goes. Right. Yeah. His hands go up in the air while the ball is in mid-flight. It hasn't even gone in yet. He's like, how did we let him get mm-hmm. that shot? He shot it from a million feet away. Nobody's going to defend that. The dude is just crazy. I could talk about it. I mean, he. I mean, it's so special because so many of these classic shots that he hits come when like he doesn't touch the ball until he catches it and fires it immediately. It's right. Using, it's using screens and you know zigzagging around screens and using cuts to break free and pushing off defenders. But then in Game Seven against the Kings, you know, I mentioned the stat in passing earlier. He dribbled according to the second spectrum three hundred and seventy four times. <laughs> right. The nerdiest stat ever. But that's the most he ever has since 2014-15. Like, when he needs to, he can turn into James Harden, into Luka, and just run the ball and create his own shots. Like, he can shapeshift into that, which is why, to bring it back to your point, Van, like, he can do the Kobe thing, right? He can dominate the ball if he needs to. It's just that's not what he has had to do within this entire Warriors dynasty era. What has made him great is how he shapeshifts Tate, mm-hmm. and he can be the point guard, or he can be the shooting guard, because he is, he is his own player, unlike anybody we've ever seen. And like you were saying, I think it was a great point. With Steph Curry, when you try to catch your breath, right, when you try to take that moment of like, oh, I can rest here balls for a up. second, balls up. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And Della Vadova, I, I remember that quote was going around, he was like, I almost died guarding Steph Curry. That's because when he, <laughs> you try to catch your breath, mm-hmm. like you can't get your breath. And that, and that is what mm-hmm. he does, and it drives you insane, and it just never stops. And I think that is a testament to him. And I think, honestly, the, the thing that LeBron and Steph, I think I like about them is that LeBron made Steph get bigger, get more physical because he exposed him early on. And then Steph made LeBron get more range and extend his game. And like they kind of took something from each other mm. and that made them both greater. And now we get to see like the the formalized version of themselves and they took one thing from each other and now we're going to see what that looks like because the first time they met it was David versus Goliath. Mm-hmm. You were like this is not fair. This is not a fair fight. LeBron James is looking at him saying, "You little you know what I mean? Like yeah. we, we remember that moment, and it was mm-hmm. like that's what most basketball people would say about Steph at that time. Not anymore. No. This guy's strong. This guy's built. This guy's backing people down in the post. It, it's a different Steph Curry. LeBron James. This guy's looking at the ball, pulling up from thirty feet. That's not the LeBron James we saw in 2011, 2012. Hey, that's one thing LeBron. I love that shit. I like that 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 look at the guy that right. It goes in every time. I don't know how he does it. I don't know. But that wasn't happening without the Steph Curry influence, right? I mean, and that is what I think is so unique about them. It's like they made each other better. And Magic and Bird had the same effect on each other. It's Mm -hmm. like 
you do this, well, watch this, you know? And I think the competitiveness and the respect is there, and that's what's so fascinating about them both. I'm so fired up for this series. I yes. too, It's <laughs> going to be great. Tate's got the Warriors. Van's got the Lakers. I got the Lakers as well. Thank you guys for joining. I appreciate it. You're the man, KOC. Thank you for watching The Ringer Beyond the Arc. We'll be back on Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern. For now, watch Through the Ringer with Tate Frazier.